Friends, again, welcome to worship here at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. For those of you who are with us in the sanctuary today, it is really good to see your faces. For those of you who are joining us online, it is good to feel your presence. Now, normally, whenever a church does the welcome section in their service, we tend to break down the congregation in the following categories. Those who are new or visiting, those who are re-engaging, and those who are already engaged. We do it all the time here at First Press, every single Sunday. Now, sometimes we vary our welcome based on identity markers. For example, during cultural or racial heritage months or holidays, we will extend a special welcome to those who identify with groups like our AAPI or Black or Latinx or queer siblings. Because in this day and age, and given the history of the church, I believe it's important to be specific about our welcome. There have been far too many times that I have stood in sanctuaries across the country and have been asked, Pastor, am I really welcome here? Am I actually accepted here? Do I really belong here? For any of you who have ever had to ask that question of yourself, you know that what I'm talking about. And you know why naming the nature of our welcome matters. And so today I want to extend a very special welcome that's based on something other than your history of church attendance or a particular identity marker. Today I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who have experienced loss in your life in one form or another. And guess what? That's all of you. Just like the past few weeks, today we are going to read stories from scripture and hear stories from within our own community, stories about loss and grief and also hope. And we tell these stories not to single out the experience of the storyteller, but to remind us that we are not alone in what we go through. We are not alone in how we feel or what we do. We are not alone in who we are. So for those of you who are here today who are in the midst of grieving loss, whatever kind of loss that may be, let me say this. You are welcome here. You are cherished here. You are honored here. And if at any point in today's service this conversation becomes too much for you, I pray that you will listen closely to your body and your soul and your heart and honor what it is telling you. As always and as ever, to any of you who are in need of pastoral care or extra support, your clergy are here for you, our active listening ministry is here for you, our support groups are here for you, this community is here for you. With that, let us pray. God of creation and Lord of compassion, Regard us gently today as we venture into your word written, your word experienced, and your word proclaimed. Soften our hearts, open our minds, and tend to our souls as we live our ordinary lives by the grace of your extraordinary love. Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, the story of the widow of Zarephath. Hear now God's word for you today. 
Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the wadi, or ravine, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and li lived by the wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. But after a while, the wadi dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her again and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two Sundays ago, we kicked off a new sermon series here entitled The Ministry of the Ordinary. In mining scripture for stories of every day, right where you are in the moment faithfulness, our hope was to carry forth the truth we celebrated in Advent and Christmas, that God is not only with us, but also in us and working through us, all of us. A doctrine that sounds pretty when we talk about it in church, but one that contradicts most of our modern sensibilities. After all, we live in a time steeped in the either or. God is either up there or down here. Scripture is either literal or metaphorical. The church should be focused on salvation as it pertains to heaven or as it pertains to earth. We as God's people are either destined to stand in pulpits or sit in the pews. Gone are the days when our everyday existence was as philosopher Charles Taylor dubbed enchanted. A time when humanity was porous and vulnerable to the divine. God was not bound to church buildings and sanctuaries. Revelation was not limited to those with religious degrees. 
and ministry was not restric restricted to those wearing robes and stoles. The era of the both and, the belief that Jesus is on the loose over here and over there, in her and in him and in them, in social projects and sacred endeavors, in classrooms and on BART trains, in office buildings and street corners. In other words, the ministry of the ordinary. When we are able to embrace the both and, we can see in the stories of Shifra and Pua and Bronwyn Harris that God doesn't need us to go out of our way searching for ways to change the world, but that God can use us exactly where we are at. Sometimes all we need to do is show up. When we are able to embrace the both and, we can see in the stories of Jesus calling the disciples and that of Calvin James that God does not need us to perfectly plan out the rest of our lives, but to simply respond to the fierce urgency of now, whether that is on our daily commute or in retirement. The ministry of the ordinary is for those who are willing to look at God and at the world and at themselves in a way that does not limit or define what God can do according to our expectations or even our imaginations. And 1 Kings 17 is no exception. Now in this passage, there are two major things that challenge our modern sensibilities. First is God's very direct involvement in the world. Droughts are caused by God's wrath, and ravens deliver food at God's command. Two things we don't assign to or expect from God in this day and age. So much so that we read details like this in scripture and we quickly discard them as unuseful for our modern context. But what is even more challenging is what comes next. Scripture tells us that God commands a destitute widow on the verge of complete poverty to take care of Elijah. And so having heard that word from God, Elijah heads to Zarephath and collects on that promise, not by asking her for help, but by telling her to help. Now, logically, practically, and compassionately speaking, the widow is the last person on earth that God should be asking to help Elijah, right? I mean, it's not kind or considerate. It's not very appropriate or fair. It's not very Christian. Doesn't make much sense. How could this person who has nothing to offer have something to give? And just like that, Without meaning to, without wanting to, without even knowing it, we limit what God can do and who God can use. We assume that God can only use those who are strong and healthy, those who have something to give, those who aren't in the midst of their own sorrow or suffering. But as this passage shows us, nothing could be farther from the truth. There is a reason that God calls upon the widow of Zarephath. And contrary to how we might understand the qualifications for ministry, the reason has nothing to do with what she has or what she has done or even what she's capable of, quite the opposite. God calls the widow because she has nothing. In her poverty, she knows what it means to be hungry. In her struggle, she knows what it means to depend 
on others. In her grief, she knows what it means to have loved and have lost. And in being invisible, she knows how important it is to be seen. That is what she has to offer. That is her gift. That is her ministry. To help us better understand this holy truth is our beloved member, Donna Van Nord. Friends, hear now her story of love and loss and hope. So Donna, it is such a pleasure to be in conversation with you. I've actually known about you long before I met you on Zoom or in person. When I was interviewing with the PNC, I heard about the amazing ministry of the widows. And so I was just wondering if you might share your story as one of the appreciated, admired, and cherished members of this group. I'd be glad to. I first want to start by acknowledging that there are many people in our First Press family who have suffered loss, whether it's the loss of a spouse or a partner or a child or a sibling or parents, and whether it's through a time of long-term care and illness um, or sudden loss and shock. And I just honor them. I honor you. My story is one of unexpected loss. My husband, John, and I, six and a half years ago, took our family to Kailua, Hawaii for a week-long celebration of our 50th anniversary. And I will say we were married as babies. So <laughs> it, um, it was going to be a special, special time. Uh, we arrived on a Tuesday. And on Wednesday morning, John and I woke up to this just amazing and gorgeous sunrise. And we went downstairs and made coffee and took our coffee out to the back deck. And we started a very deep conversation. And it was a conversation about our life together, about the places we had lived. We had been through many transfers. Um, we talked about our children and our grandchildren and how proud we were of them and what our hopes and dreams were for them. And we talked about our relationship, how we had supported one another over the years in so many different ways. And I look back on that now and unbeknownst to us at the time, it was really our goodbye. Um, on Thursday morning, we woke up and, of course, went downstairs and made coffee and had this enormous breakfast ready for everybody who came downstairs. And this was going to be snorkeling day. And so we we're just making lots of noise and lots of laughter and having a great time around the breakfast table. And as people started to gather stuff up to go to the beach, I asked if it would be okay if I stayed back at the house because I I just didn't enjoy being out in the sun all day long. So they said, sure, mom, you know, we'll see you later. And as they piled into the cars, John and I connected with our eyes and we waved. And that was the last time I saw him alive. Um, I received a call from my son, Michael, around two o'clock in the afternoon saying that there had been some difficulty. And I immediately thought that 
one of the grandkids, something had happened. And he said, no, no, mom, it's, it's not the grandkids. And I knew it was John. And Charlene, I knew he was gone. I just knew it, I felt it. He said, mom, I'll call you again in about 10 minutes. And during that time, I paced back and forth in the house and I, I just thought, Lord, I, my, my hands were up and I thought, what, what is happening? And I felt the presence, I really did feel the presence, I believe of the Holy Spirit just coming over me and, and giving me peace and calmness um, and wrapping me in, in this protection. And Mike called back and he said, dad's gone. So he and Raquel were going to come back to the house and pick me up and take me to the hospital where the paramedics were taking his body. And on our way to the hospital, um, we're just going down the freeway. I'm sitting in the back seat of the car. It's quiet. I know they are deep in their thoughts and I was deep in mine. And I remember looking at people, hearing music, hearing conversations, hearing laughter and thinking, I'm going to go see my husband's body. It just just was surreal. And we arrived at the hospital and um, I just opened my arms to gather my my children. And they were they were grieving, they were shocked. The looks on their faces um, it just was very very sad. And we went into the emergency room. We were brought to a place where John's body was and we just gathered around him. We arrived back at home or lived in San Francisco at the time. And I remember in the days following, just walking around my house and not hearing any sound. It was so quiet and it felt so empty. And I thought, Lord, how can this be? How can you, can you give me some understanding, some, some way to make sense of what had happened? And he led me to the Psalms. And there were many, many early mornings, well before dawn, that I was sitting in my living room with my Bible open, paging through the Psalms and trying to find one or two or three that, that spoke to my heart. And I prayed, I just prayed. I clung to God in prayer and I asked him to help me be strong, to help me just deal with the fear that was so overwhelming, so many things to do territory I had never been in before. And I asked him to help me have courage to carry the weight of grief that I just felt was enveloping me. And there is a, a weight, my grief weighed, it weighed heavily. Um, I have a sense of perspective now. I know that I had to feel that grief that agony completely. I had to walk through it. I couldn't skip over it. I couldn't ignore it. And I had to, I had to be afraid. I had to feel that fear. I had to learn fear. I had to learn that 
God was there. He was trustworthy. And that is who I went to. Um, I can say now, after these years, that that experience of John's passing, the most traumatic experience of my life, was the one that was most transformative. It changed me, and it changed my understanding of who God is. You say it often, Charlene, that God is faithful. Mm. And I am God's beloved. I know that completely. I believe that with my whole heart. And I've learned so much over this time. I've learned that life holds hard stuff. And I've learned that God is my strength. He is my rock. He is the one I can count on. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. I've learned to be quiet in his presence, to be able to hear his voice and feel the nudges. And as I'm reading these beautiful messages from God, meditations, to to feel what he is asking me to do. He's helped me to know that I have decided to live. I am not isolating, I am living. And something that is so beautiful, he's created this desire in me to love others. And he's put so many dear, dear people in my path, my friends from many, many years, new friends, Friends who are at this time walking, beginning this journey, and others who have already passed through it. And so I still go to the Psalms. I have two favorites. One is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this phrase, he will not let my foot slip. And it doesn't mean that I'm never going to have difficulty in my life. I've had it. It will come again. I know it. It's part of life. But I know that he is there. He is with me. And then Psalm 139, which is that beautiful psalm of God knowing me, seeing me, being with me wherever I am. And especially that verse that says, it's God alone who knows the length of our days. Mm. And I can accept that. Yeah, I accept that. And so that's that's my story. One of of great sadness and sorrow, to one of great transformation and joy, and knowing more that I am God's beloved child, and He is faithful to me. In an earlier conversation, you told me how it gave you this sixth sense. Um, and as someone who has experienced loss too, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially in those moments of acute loss, but even afterwards. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I just think of that feeling, that overwhelming feeling of the presence. I think of the Holy Spirit and pouring out what I call holy oil when I got the news from Michael that there had been difficulty. Um, it's like you're almost taken out of your body and you're looking down on another person. And I felt so enveloped by God. And I think that was that 
beginning of knowing the presence of God so strongly. It has been so real. And so I don't think there are moments in the day where I'm not aware of God. I'm not so connected with him um, in a way that I know he's with me. He gives me such wisdom. I need such wisdom. He's just part of my being. Does that sixth sense impact or influence your interactions with others? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, one thing that I've learned is that I don't need to have answers. Mm. I need a listening ear. I need a presence. I found that sometimes people just want to be with you and you can hold somebody's hand or you can look into their eyes, but it's just, it's not you. It's God working through you or it's responding to a nudge. I've learned that when I get a phone call or I have this kind of premonition from God that I have to act on it. Mm. And um, that's that's kind of frightening at sometimes <laughs> at times I would say you're not exactly sure what you're going to be asked to do. Well, on behalf of those who are lucky enough to do life alongside you, I feel I would like to think that I have been the recipient of many of those nudges, those holy nudges of your love and compassion. So thank you so much for the ways that you have allowed God to use you in the midst of um, and because of all that you've been through and all that you continue to go through just as a human being in this world. So we love you, Donna, and we thank you for sharing your tender story with us. You're welcome. You're welcome, Charlene. been a hard week it's been a hard week to be human it's been a hard week to turn on the news it's been a hard week for people who have lost friends and loved ones for those who have lost health mental health for those who have lost job security homes food security losses all around us and so um First and foremost, I just want to say thank you to Donna for honoring us with your courageous storytelling. Um, I want to honor the fact that, you know, all of these conversations are so much longer than the 10-minute edited versions that you get. Um, they're full of so much insight and wisdom. Um, and Donna bears witness to the fact that for years she couldn't have John's picture in the house. So it wasn't that you know, she experienced this loss and then we made this video. So I want to honor that very real reality. 
And I want to honor the fact that um, for many of you that I see in this room who have experienced loss maybe years ago, that it can already feel like the loss is so close and so present. Uh, actually, this sermon in this series was inspired by James Parrish Smith sharing his testimony back in November. Uh, for those of you who weren't there in that testimony, he shared a litany of the widows who cared for him. And it was so struck by the fact that he based it around the widows. He said that the widow, and he gave them names and classifications, and it was sweet and funny and so tender and human. And we could almost see each of their faces without even knowing who they were. Uh, and it struck me in that moment that it was because of their experiences, the space they now had in their lives, space that was created not of their own choosing, but space that enabled them to welcome James into their lives and love him and care for him in ways that in those moments he probably didn't even know he needed their care. The Ministry of the Widows. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that it's kind of crazy that I have three pages that are in front of me. Um, pages that have come as a result of sitting in front of my computer for hours. And the fact that I'm not reading them is actually what is the miracle. Um, <laughs> Michelle gets it. Um, sitting in front of a Blake screen for hours this week. Because as a minister, you feel like after something, after Monterey Park happens, after Half Moon Bay happens, after the murder of Tyree Nichols happens, that you gotta have something to say that you have to have answers. I don't. I don't have answers for you this morning. But I know this, that in the face of loss, that what this world needs is not the ministry of the seminary educated or the ministry of the systematized theologies or perfectly exegeted texts. What this world needs is the ministry of presence a presence that is born out of loss and experience for those who know that when the world slows down enough that you can stop and see the people who are suffering around you. And that is what the world needs right now. That is the ministry that each and every one of us have to offer. So in the absence of answers or assurances, what gives me hope right now is that we are all called and enabled and empowered to minister to a world in need, not in spite of our losses, but because of them. And that's all. Because <laughs> again, I wrote like lots of pages, so many pages just written. Um, so as John comes up here, as we take some time to reflect, allow me just to close in prayer. God, as your created ones, there are vacancies that we feel in our hearts. Vacancies wrought by loss and betrayal and experiences not of our choosing. And these experiences do not disqualify us from serving you. If anything, they give us this sixth sense, this special ability to stop when the world is spinning when all the talking heads are trying to give answers and explanations and ways forward, that we as your people are called to stop long enough to look around at those 
who are hungry, who are hurting, who are suffering and feeling isolated. And we're able to see them because we have been them. And so we trust God that in those times, in these times, in these moments, such as now, that you are not only with us, but that you are in us and working through us in our meager and humble ministries of the ordinary. Thank you for modeling that in your son, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>